Well, happy holidays. Glad you're here. It seems like on this one of the darkest days of the year, and around here, those of us who live in nearby Anacortes, you know, there's lots of snow. We got 10 inches of snow. How often does that happen? You know, so it feels fitting that maybe we do something a little lighter tonight than we might otherwise do. Zen can get a little serious. So I wanted to talk about Zen and the holidays. All right. So it seems like we have a cultural idea that the holidays are about happiness. We should be happy, right? We should all be happy. And there's images of happiness everywhere. So, for instance, we've got uh, oh, Netflix is full of these streaming uh, shows these days, you know, streaming movies with uh, really everyone's happy, happy and buying lots of gifts. And you get you get uh, holiday cards from families that, where they tell all the um, fabulous things they've done to, the month they spent skiing in Aspen and their trip to Maui, and all these kinds of things. In fact, we used to get so many of those that we we, uh, we decided we'd make our own spoof holiday card when our kids were little. And I wrote a holiday card in which, you know, our kids had done outlandish things like, uh, you know, uh, won an Olympic gold medal in, in bobsledding and at seven years old and, you know, free climbed the Eiffel Tower at four and things like this. And it's it, funny, it was one of our one of our relatives kind of came back to me later. She goes, you know, you shouldn't brag so much. <laughs> she didn't get the joke. <laughs> but our families don't necessarily match that happiness ideal. If you might have noticed that our families are divided a lot these days. You know, it's on everything, it seems like. It's on politics. It's on religion. It's on wearing a mask. It's even things like, well, what sort of food do we have? Do we follow this side of the family's tradition or that side of the family's tradition? So we're, we're oftentimes really divided. And what does Zen have to say about all this? What can Zen do to help us with holidays that are supposed to be happy, supposed to be happy, but maybe aren't always happy? So Zen has this to say. It's not our families that make us suffer. It's our ideas about our families that make us suffer. So that's what I'd like to talk about, that difference. Because we think it's our families that make us suffer. But Zen would say, hmm, maybe that's not it. So I want to offer three examples of ideas we might have about holiday happiness that may not match the reality of our lives or of our families. And you may recognize some of your own ideas here or maybe your own family here. So I'll give three examples. So the first one. The first example is the idea that we all hold is that my family should be like a Norman Rockwell painting. Right? You've all seen the Norman Rockwell paintings. They're these sort of nostalgic images that show the ideal family. And the ideal family is rather innocent, and they're kind, 
and they're prosperous, and they're middle American in that early 20th century way. Right? So that ideal is floating out there. The Rockwell image of a happy family at the holidays. All around the table, grandpa carving the turkey, everyone looking like that. <clears throat> but, you know, if you take a careful look at your family, your family might not match that ideal so well. Right? Instead of being innocent and kind and prosperous, maybe your family's more messy and cranky and tired and bickering. Yeah. So you might not match the ideal. Now, in, in my family, on, my, on one of the sides of my family, my family looked like the Norman Rockwell ideal. You know, there was Grandpa sitting at the head of the table carving the turkey, and we were all, all around, um, and it looked just like the painting. But underneath, it was not like the painting. It wasn't that ideal happiness that we see in those Norman Rockwell images. And, and as much as my family would like to believe and pretend that we were like that, we weren't like that. We were just as bickery and uh, difficult as any family. We had the idea that we should be like that, that Norman Rockwell ideal, but we weren't that way. And even worse, we tried to pretend that we were. Yeah. And I think we're not alone. I think that um, this idea that we should be homogenous and prosperous and white families of a hundred years ago, it's just not the way families really are now. Yet our idea may persist that we have the Rockwell ideal. So again, suffering, according to Zen, arises in the comparison between the ideal and the real. That's where suffering lives. It's not that there's anything wrong with our families because they don't meet that ideal. But if we have the idea that it should, then that's where suffering is. It's in holding that ideal rather than seeing the reality. So if you're not a Norman Rockwell family, great. But don't, don't try to hold the ideal that you are. Okay, so how about another, another example? What's another example of a happiness ideal? How about this one? My family should all get along. Yeah? Mm -hmm. So when we sit down, we should all get along. We should all be really happy. Mm -hmm. But you might have noticed, again, that we're in this highly divided cultural moment. And uh, there's lots of forces that are causing us not to get along. And I could name them all night, but you you think about stuff like um, social media and um, and news organizations. They have created business models that divide us because if we can be divided, that creates uh, really stimulating arguments that people get drawn into and want to come back to again and again and again. And we're we're all drinking the Kool Aid, right? We're all going that direction. We're we're taking that stuff in. So there's forces that want to divide us for political and financial gain. And as a result of that, we're, we're all living in bubbles 
information bubbles, idea bubbles, where we think we have all the truth and that everyone else is wrong. So you sit down at the family table and you've got a half dozen of those different bubbles all not communicating with each other. That does not lead to a family that all gets along. So take a look at your family, for instance. Uh, do they get along when you sit at the table like that? When you haven't seen this aunt and uncle or these cousins or whoever they are and you sit down together, do you actually get along? If yes, that's, that's great. Wonderful. But if no, then Zen would say, let's have compassion for this. Let's not necessarily have the idea that our family should get along. Because our family didn't create these divisions. They're not our fault. And yet we have them. So rather than faulting each other for those, we can have compassion for each other that we are in these bubbles. These bubbles created by people who want to make profit or gain off of those divisions. Um, you know, we can, we can really rest in knowing that everybody around that table is probably suffering in some way, afraid to say what what's on their mind because they're afraid they're going to get jumped by the other people. So everyone's suffering. And that calls up compassion. And again, the story about my family. I, I came from a family that had two very different sides to it. I had this one side that was very conservative fundamentalist. And I had another side that was very liberal. And this, so this was done when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s. I remember one holiday gathering where my very conservative grandfather on one side said to my very liberal grandmother on the other, he said, well, Angie, you know, slavery wasn't all bad. <laughs> you can imagine how that went over. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think those two sides got together at the holidays after that. I think we did things separately after that one. Mm. Those two sides of the family did not get along, as you can imagine. <clears throat> so our idea says my family should get along. But the reality is that there are powerful reasons why we're not getting along right now. So it's not that the suffering comes from us not getting along. The suffering arises from the idea that we should have harmony, when the reality is that harmony is very difficult in this moment. So rather than suffering by trying to enforce the ideal of a harmonious family, maybe as Zen practitioners, we can draw on our experience of compassion to meet those difficulties. Okay, how about another example? My family should love me differently. Right? My family should love me differently. Yeah. This has come up for me and my family a lot. So we're all born helpless and vulnerable. Every one of us. A newborn infant is the epitome of helpless and vulnerable. And we need our family's love to survive that. 
but all of us are born into imperfect families. None of us are born into that Norman Rockwell family because it doesn't exist. We're born into the family that we have. And the family we have is made of imperfect individuals just like me. Right? I'm an imperfect individual. They are imperfect individuals. So many of us don't feel like we get enough love from our families because they don't love me like well, they, they don't love me like the way I want to be loved. They love me the way they love me. Yeah, they love me like that, but I want them to love me like this. All right, so I have the idea that if my family really loved me, they'd do it the way I wanted instead of the way they actually do. That's suffering. So take a look at your family, for instance. How does your family actually show their love? And how do they really do it? And if you look for that, it might be very different from how you think it ought to be. But if you look for it carefully and you begin to notice it, you can then ask the question of yourself, am I able to receive their love in the way that they are giving it? Or do I, in seeking my ideal of love, completely ignore the actual love that they're offering me? I know I've done this in my life a lot, where I want my family to love me in my way, and it's just not going to happen. But I get so vexed by that, that I refuse to see how they actually are loving me. And it's on, that's on me. That's not on them. That's on me. I can change that. I don't have to make them change how they're loving me. Okay, so this idea says my family should love me like this, but the reality is that my family loves me in imperfect ways. They love me like that instead. And that suffering arises in the idea that my family should love me like this rather than how they actually love me like that. So Zen would say the way to resolve this is to look very carefully at what is actually happening, how they actually love me, and to meet it there. Drop this idea that it should be other than that. Okay, all this is well and good, but how do we do that? Right, it's one thing for me to sit here and spout off about do that, but what does it actually mean to do that? <clears throat> well, a central tenet of Zen is that right now it's like this. We hear that all the time. When we sit on the cushion, we, we're, right now it's like this, and we sit with that. 
So this is training for us to deepen our ability to be with things as they are, rather than living in the suffering that exists when we compare our ideal about something to the way it actually is. So that's what we want to do. We want to develop the ability to be with things as they are, instead of focusing our attention on our idea of how we want them to be. So I'd like to offer some practices around that. To train us in right now, it's like this. So the first one is the practice of letting go. And really, if we think about about um, awakening, it really is the practice of letting go. We're already awake under all these layers of, of misunderstanding. We're already awake. It's a matter of letting go of our ideas that don't see that, that don't recognize that. So in Zen, we like to say that our suffering comes from our ideas about life, while in fact, life is fine the way it is. So two practices here for letting go that I use a lot, that I, that I find very helpful, that you may also enjoy. And these are things that we've talked about before, but um, it always helps to look more deeply into these again and again and again. So the first practice is the practice of labeling our thoughts. Labeling our thoughts. In order to let go, we have to know what we're letting go of. And the best way I know how to do that is to label my thoughts. And uh, it's really great to practice this on the cushion. It's not so great to try and start this at the uh, holiday Christmas table with your annoying Uncle Ned over there pontificating about his political views, right? That's not the place to start. The place to start is when we sit down on the cushion and we make that resolution to be present with things as they are. Right now, it's like this. So what is this? I'm breathing, I notice my breath. And then I notice a thought arise. Am I breathing properly? Oh, there's a thought. I can label that. Hmm, Self-judgment. And then a thought arises about something that my wife said earlier in the day that I didn't like. Hmm. Hmm. Judgment. And then I remember that I have tomorrow a whole bunch of things I need to do and my mind starts to spin off on, oh, oh, yeah, planning. I just do that over and over and over and over again. And when I do that, I begin to see the things that I need to let go of because I will habitually think the same kind of thoughts over and over. Now I've noticed in my meditation that many of my thoughts are designed to prevent me from feeling shame or fear. I just notice this over and over. So once I know this, now I can begin to take that awareness to the dining table that's surrounded by my family. And I can begin to see all the ways that my perpetual thoughts about fear and shame 
begin to distort the words that my family is sharing because I'm so afraid they're going to say something that will shame me or cause fear. So you see how that works? By watching our own thoughts, we begin to see the filters that we put up between us and the people that we're with that distorts their intentions. You know, if I, if I have lots of thoughts about shame, then I'm going to be very sensitive to what everyone's saying because I can twist it around to think they're shaming me in some way when that might have not been their intention at all. So there's a real benefit to this, not only in seeing, but in uh, as, we, as we notice these thoughts and label them again and again, they start to lose their power and a sense of freedom begins to arise. They don't have the same automatic reaction that they did before. I've noticed that uh, carrying these burdens of these repetitive thoughts uh, is a real, it's, it's a heavy burden. That's a lot of baggage on my shoulders. And letting go of them helps me to see the members of my family in a new light. You know, rather than trying to force them to live up to my ideal of someone who would never cause me to feel shame or fear, oh, now I can start to see them as they really are. Quirky, flawed, just like me. And people begin to know, people know when you are negatively judging them. So when I sit around the table, metaphorically with my arms crossed going, yeah, just wait, I'm just waiting for you to say something. I know you've said it millions of times before and it, you know, made me feel ashamed when you said, you know, what I did when I was four years old that was, you thought was cute, but I feel embarrassed about, you know, they know this. Right? They feel this sense of from you, and it puts them off. So we're contributing to the negative spiral around that holiday table. But we don't have to. We don't have to. One of the biggest gifts that we can give each other is acceptance. It's the biggest gift. It's so much better than a pair of socks or a new screwdriver. If we could give our family acceptance at the holidays, for them to feel that we really value them for who they are, and we've stopped resisting them because they're triggering our things that we've carried for decades, that can shift the whole family. Okay, the other practice that I think is really helpful that I like to use comes right from from Thich Nhat Hanh is watering good seeds. All families have difficulties. Everyone. In my work as a chaplain, uh, I met with literally hundreds of families. And I don't know that I ever met a single family that didn't have some black hole of suffering that the whole family orbited around. It's just the way we are, right? They don't have that in the Norman Rockwell painting, but our families do. 
every one of them. And if you think you don't, you're probably deluded. It probably does. You just haven't named it yet or seen it yet. So if your family's like that too, and it most likely is, then what are you going to choose to do in that situation? Are you going to choose to water seeds of the well-worn conflicts that you have known together for years or decades? Or are you going to water the seeds of understanding and compassion and love? You get to choose. I bet every one of us in our families can all get together and know exactly who the problem child is. The one who is making things difficult for all of us. And so what do we do? We all get together and we gossip about how terrible that person is. And then we steal ourselves for their bad behavior because we know what they've done in the past and they're just going to do it again. And that is watering our family's bad seeds. Right? Because if if you walk in the door and the whole family knows that you're the one that's going to cause the trouble, you're probably going to cause the trouble. You're going to live, we're going to live down to their expectations. But what if instead we watered our family's good seeds? What if instead of negative gossip, we spoke about each other's goodness? Can you imagine how that would shift things around the dining table if we talked about each other's goodness? Wow. I was blessed with such a wonderful example of this in my extended family. My wife's grandmother in Hawaii, uh, she was just this amazing, wonderful person. And in the time I knew her, uh, she, I never heard her ever say a negative thing about anybody, ever. And it's not like she didn't have a life where she could have said negative things. You know, she had a, she had a normal life that had all kinds of difficulties, just like all of ours. But never did I hear her speak negatively about anyone. And that wasn't true about the rest of us. We would do that thing where we would all like pick on and there was one family member we all knew that was kind of a pain in the rear and we would all get together and we'd say, yeah, well, she, and, and my wife's grandmother, Popo, we called her, would always say something like, well, you know, she is getting better. She is getting better. And she meant it. She wasn't lying. She actually saw that way. That is the practice of watering good seeds. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all water good seeds like Popo? Wouldn't it be amazing if you could sit down at the dinner table with all those family members and you could trust that the people there were going to see you in a way that was honoring and that that pulled forth your best qualities? Wouldn't that be amazing? Mm. So grateful for her.
Thich Nhat Hanh taught us that the essence of our practice is transforming suffering into compassion. That was really his, his core message for us. The essence of our practice is transforming suffering into compassion. Um, for so many of us, the holidays are all about suffering. They're not the happy times that the cards we get or the TV movies that we watch or the um, Norman Rockwell paintings that we see. They're not about that. They're about all the ways that our family doesn't meet up with that. And so we suffer. So can we practice in such a way that we transform that suffering into happiness, into compassion, into peace and joy? You know, if we don't do it, who will? Maybe nobody else in our family practices. It's up to us. We're the ones who can. And also, since we're bodhisattvas, since we've taken bodhisattva vows to save all beings, we know that what we do matters, that what we do ripples out. So we might transform our own hearts so that we can water good seeds and we can let go. But when we do that, we know that it's also transforming our family even if we can't see it. And we can also know that it's transforming our community, even if we can't see it. And if enough of us do this, we can transform the world. Our practice is to transform suffering into happiness. So when we practice deeply, when we let go of those unhelpful thoughts by labeling them over and over, when we water good seeds in ourselves and in others, we have the benefit of insight naturally that will arise. We don't have to do anything. We have to seek it. It will naturally arise. And we'll see that, ah, right now it's like this. We can be that clarity for our family. We can see that right now I have these thoughts. Right now my family has these thoughts. Right now I have these behaviors. And right now my family has these behaviors. We can be the lamp that our family needs to transform their suffering into happiness. So these insights that arise in us as practitioners show us how to meet the thoughts and actions of ourselves and our families with love instead of resistance and with compassion instead of hate. And that insight shows us in the very moment when a conflict might arise, how to hold that suffering with kindness and compassion and to make it better instead of make it worse.
And because we know we are flawed, that we are imperfect, when we see our family's flaws and imperfections, we can say, ah, this is like it is. This is what's happening. This is what a family is. It's full of mess. It's full of difficulty. But it's okay. It's okay just like it is. We know that each moment with our family will contain things that we like and things that we don't like. But that we can be free right in the midst of that. And we can be a beacon of compassion and happiness for ourselves and for our family and for ultimately all beings. So this is what Zen would say about holiday happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's, we're, we are making another version of the Rockwell painting. Maybe we should start painting our own version of that so we can have a clear idea of what it is for us to have a family. You know, a family that's full of flaws and chaos and, and it's okay. And it's okay. Thank you all for your kind attention. I hope you have a wonderful holiday with your families. <laughs>